From Santa Barbara, California, Timeless Voyager Radio with Bruce Stephen Holmes. Self-development radio for the open mind. Interviews with leading-edge authors and speakers in the fields of environmental issues, alternative health care, new psychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, and extraterrestrial encounters. And now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio. Hello everyone, this is Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio and uh, returning guests who were on the show once before, Michael and Aurora Elegion. They are of the Extraterrestrial Communications Network out of Malibu, California. Welcome to the show. Glad to be back again. Thank you for having us. Um, the last time you were on the air, we had a very, very detailed understanding of why there is an extraterrestrial network. And as a matter of fact, I think we'll review some of that. Um, and we talked a lot about star people, a tiny bit about walk-ins. We certainly talked about the different um, entities and the Ashtar Command and some of the uh, higher beings. What is the extraterrestrial communications network? Well, what we do is we gather information from many different sources. Uh, people who are contactees, as well as government declassified information, as well as being in touch with a number of CIA-type individuals who have fed us information as far as what's going on on the government levels and whatnot. And we are contactees, which is really the number one way we get our information. And there's, of course, a difference between being a contactee, as Aurora and I are, and abductees that are had interactions with the greys, as we discussed before about the reasons why that doesn't have to be, but most people have given up their power and allowed other beings to control over them. But when you're dealing with human-appearing extraterrestrials, beautiful human-appearing extraterrestrials that Aurora and I have had contact with, those are experiences that are very benevolent, very beautiful, very uplifting. And for myself, basically, the, the experience is that you don't really want to come back to this level. You want to stay in those, on that level. And it's a very joyous, uplifting experience. And so they, I'm just saying that most people who are only aware of abductions these days and the human-appearing ones have been given no publicity because that's the agenda of the government to make everybody think that there's only one type coming here rather than having a choice about who we galactically hang out with. So uh, the reason that the Extraterrestrial Communications Network exists is to gather this information, disseminate it, and um, in that way, put it out to the public through a series of uh, le lectures on, um, on video and cassettes, as well as books, and t you know, books that we carry on the subject, the latest books on the subject, the ones that we feel are the most, most influential. You said the beautiful human-looking, uh, uh, do they have any uh, overweight uh, people out there? <laughs> no, they don't seem to have those, pro those problems because they don't have the conditions that we presently have to exist on on this level with all the you know, ecological pollution. Can they eat as much as they want of whatever it is? Well, they eat more like weight. etheric type food uh. and it tastes a lot better. It doesn't cause the weight conditions and because they have more etheric type bodies than but, we do. Oh, now that was it. Okay, so they are not three-dimensional? Well, they are actually, even though as Ashtar and those who call themselves the Ethereans, because in a sense they are etheric compared to this level, they're on a higher dimensional level, they are still, quote, physical in the sense that they have a physical environment they interrelate to. One thing I want to make a point about is that beings of this level, this caliber, don't need ships to travel like we need cars to travel around or like the greys use ships. They're actually energy beings who can create an environment, what is called in term of Merkaba, which is a Hebrew term that means a vehicle of light and what is called their I am presence or their God self or their inner self they create a vehicle around them an energy vehicle to travel around when groups of them want to travel or they're about to physically evacuate a planet in fact one of the ways that they often appear when you see these what earth meteorologists call lenticular cloud formations where these saucer shaped clouds appear those are usually a ship in the etheric with an ionized cloud around it and we see these lenticular clouds appearing quite often around the planet and I've seen them where they are stationary and other clouds moving and vice versa. So it's not your normal natural phenomena, as the term many hmm. people like to use, that can explain that. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a book I once saw. 
I forget the name of the book, but <laughs> had hundreds. There's a fabulous book that we just uh, that we distribute called Celestial Rays. From That's the, sun. the one. That's the one. I took all of the pictures from that book, and and did a video with that piece of music you heard a little while ago. That long right. piece called clouds and that's that whole thing it's been used on many many videos uh, around the united states yeah it's fabulous and that book is one that everybody should have who is interested in this subject and uh, also sister thedra the one who uh, compiled the book is who the minister who married michael and i at mount shasta being a uh, that mount shasta was is an ascended master retreat and also a very um, prevalent place for the space energies. The the ships are often seen going in and out of the mountains there. So. Now, as a point of uh, of information for people who are listening to the show, you uh, we we spoke on the last show about the fact that Billy Meyer had taken motion pictures right. of Pleiadian spacecraft. That he has pictures of. Um, does he have pictures of beings? I know he had yeah, Escott, uh, Plata, he had a number of pictures of the uh, female uh, extraterrestrials that he had contact with when he was taken aboard. And originally he could not photograph them because of the energies aboard the ship. But later he, they arranged for the conditions to be such that he was able to photograph them. And he was taken on uh, about two, three hundred times. And uh, the Palladians, I might make a comment about, which are not as advanced as the Ashtar Command and the Jerusalem Command and beings we're in contact with. They're kind of intermediaries. They were allowed by the more advanced ones to be kind of an inter-between intermediary for presenting technology that the earth scientists could verify, they could use in laboratories. And one of the things that Billy Myers, the contact he did, was to bring back crystal metal samples that were given to Marcel Vogel at IBM Research Laboratories. And he stated on it's on, on the film Contact that we've shown many places, which has been highly suppressed, uh, that the they could not duplicate that level of technology because it was a cold fusion process of over 60 elements elements, both crystal and metal, combined together. Now, that was like 15 years ago. Now, I'm sure today they could probably come close to that. But the point is that that was one of the proofs or evidence that there was a level of technology that the contactee did bring back. <coughs> Excuse me. And they all the photographs were computer authenticated with top NASA equipment. The 8-millimeter film was authenticated, as well as the sounds that they took when he had recorded the ship while it was hovering. They took the sound banks. And that's, of course, where you can identify different types of sounds that we we are familiar with on this level of a reality. And they got to identify everything that is the background sounds except the emitted sound of the object. And they said they could not pick up what that was except there was a frequency. They did pick up among all the random frequencies referred to as the Sherman scale of frequency. That's a natural magnetic rhythm of the planet. Billy Myers said the ships ride the, ride the magnetic field. So that was verified. Despite all of that, because these beings were human appearing, the groups like MUFON and all these big scientific organization, which I believe are fronts for the government, they debunked the contact case. They would rather talk about the greys and the weird-looking ones rather than something that's benevolent, that's uplifting, despite the documentation and verification of that. They have a whole agenda, it seems, the officials do in all of these agents of disinformation to debunk the human-appearing contacts or contactees like ourselves, because we're presenting something that in a sense is threatening their, you might say, level of power, their level of authority. I bring is something different that makes it obvious that there is a choice of who we have contact with. Let's take this in layers of information. The first layer is whether a person will accept or not that there is, quote-unquote, life outside of the Earth. Now, of course, I always thought that was a joke, and the reason I always thought that was a joke was because even the fundamentalists believe in something that is not part of the Earth. So there must be some kind of, of energy out there, even if we call them angels or, or archangels or, or God or different beings. So we, we have to at least uh, figure that, that, that maybe 75% of the population, maybe more than that, philosophically believes that there's something going on out there. All right, right. So, all right, so with that taken care of, we come to the next level. And the next level is uh, that the beings don't look like us. That seems to be the first possibility. People say, well, okay, at least if they don't look like us, then that, that makes them feel secure. I don't know. What makes people feel so insecure about these beings looking like us? 
<laughs> um, I don't think that really most people are insecure over the f fact that they look like us. I think that it's a really a cover-up that they don't want you to know that they look like us. Because then you would embrace them, then you'd want to get rid of your but world it seems leaders, like and you'd want to have a higher authority governing things. If you had the option of but getting... Now wait, let me, let me just stop for a second. What I'm trying to say is, if you look at any information that anyone would have about extraterrestrials, most of the information that the average person has came from Hollywood. That's right. All right. And almost all of those extraterrestrials, except Star Trek, and even Star Trek, do not look human. Well, first of what all, is it a, one of the original a, movies called The Day of the Earth Stood Still, which was the first real extraterrestrial picture to come out, was human appearing. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamie, uh, the guy, the man who, who played that role uh, was definitely, in a sense, very much, I believe, uh, fitted for that role. The point is that that movie had a great impact on people. Immediately after that, they brought on all these negative movies because the government was threatened by allowing people to realize that there were human appearing So what you're saying is that people were very comfortable, as you were saying a minute ago, and would embrace a humanoid-looking entity. And so the next step was to scare the hell out of us with things like, and of course, most recently, the uh, alien uh, with Sigourney right. Weaver. I mean, good, my goodness, <laughs> that thing will scare anyone. That's right. I, I, frankly, I don't go see negative films, so I don't really know what you're talking about. But uh, well, I mean, because this is what most people know. Well, of. right, and uh, I don't go see them because I think that the mind really can't distinguish between fantasy and reality. And when you take that into your consciousness, they, it then becomes um, in your program. You might say back in the back of your brain. And it does color the way you think and feel, even though on subtle levels, even though in the conscious mind uh, may not identify it. The reactionary mind, the subconscious, does um, does have a, a, quite an effect on it. I wanted to, uh, Michael, to mention uh, one of the things was uh, on the day that the Earth stood still, the final scene, he began actually channeling. Yeah, Michael Rainey was the actor, the name I was searching for, and uh, originally, and I've read even Starlog in some magazines where they talk about how they've uh, made some of these early movies, and it was interesting because when they were discussing in the sense of how they produced it, there was one part where they, when the original, uh, when they, the first scene in the first part of the movie, which was actually, I'm told, actual footage, it wasn't all special effects, there was a point uh, that when uh, it was either Warner Brothers or Universal Studios that made that movie, that they had an actual UFO sighting, a ship came down and hovered over the studios for about two or three hours. Had quite a pronounced effect up on them. And the final scene... But they didn't get footage of it. Uh, well, who knows? Somebody might have. <laughs> oh, the yeah, point is, sure I'm sure that the government did do this. Somebody did. But the point is, the final scene when Michael Rainey, the actor, was supposed to have said certain things, his mind went blank, and he, instead he says, he reflects about the fact that humanity may fight among itself, but if they threaten to extend their hostility to other worlds, that they would be stopped. His basic message was that higher authorities would not allow, say, nuclear nuclear destruction, or that what we would do would be a threat to other worlds to extend beyond this planet. So that was actually something that he had, they had not planned for him to say. In other words, that was not it. in the script. That was not originally in the original script. He channeled that whole scene there, and they went ahead and used that because of the effect. It was so moving. It had such an impact on people. I also liked another scene, I'll just quickly mention, that when he was standing incognito in the crowd, among the crowd during the movie, I mean, when the uh, interview the news people were going around because the ship was landed right near the White House lawn and they were uh, going around interviewing people about their um, feelings about this whole thing and everyone else of course is caught up in the excitement of the paranoia and he says to them what I don't like to see is common sense being replaced with fear and paranoia words to that effect immediately the media moved away from him they didn't want to give people that understanding the media I'm talking about the big you know, syndicated the big AB BC, CBS, those that are really controlling the information that is brought out, uh, they don't want the public to know the fact that there are benevolent beings, and it comes right back to that, information that would benefit us, that would make life more bearable for us. They would rather make us think that we have only a very limited options and choices here, or not letting us know that there are beings who are concerned about what's going on on this planet. So, as was made 
uh, the point that was made on the last show, and and certainly we'll just review it real quickly, was that the point here is that we are a quarantined planet, and by virtue of our quarantine, our own government is taking advantage of that. They are, I guess, not only in a conspiracy <laughs> with with uh, with themselves to keep this information from us, but they're also conspiring with the uh, with the Greys to make sure that we are kept in this quarantine as long as possible. And you had said that was because they get to manipulate us and, and get to uh, exercise their power over us, which they would have to give up if we were to be in constant contact with these higher positive beings. Yes, and as I shared the last show was the fact, information that as my sources, the Ashtar Command and Air Forces have said, and even people who have been in military intelligence have uh, brought this out when having been in top secret levels where they saw documents mentioning the fact that human appearing beings did contact the government first before the greys came in and that these human appearing beings which were really referring to the ashtar command and higher forces they had offered the government uh, technology that would have eliminated all of our present problems but because of the stipulations and requirements of them relinquishing their nuclear warheads and telling the public civilian sector the situation at that time they weren't willing to do that and and yet these beings did warn them about the greys. The greys then came in and they said to the world leaders, we will share technology with you if you will let us to abduct some of your people because our species is dying out. And that was really the government chose to go with them because they didn't have to deal with any spiritual or moral implications. And uh, as a result, that's why we're in the problems we are today, having turned down those particular beings. Interesting enough, Ashtar's comment to me when I became aware of this information, he said to me, I knew that they were going to turn us down, but we had to take them through the formality because in all the other worlds in the higher realms, world leaders are usually elected because of, they're always elected because of the spiritual moral qualities. Of course, on this planet, it's totally opposite that often. And the human race is being tested for who we elect into positions of power and who we allow our world leaders to galactically hang out with. Now, we're going to talk a little bit today about the beginning of this process i believe we're to kind of look historically now at how all of this came about and i think we want to start with this how did our solar system come about what is the beginning of this whole process because uh we've, we've heard the scientists and we have heard theologians and we have heard people who have theories let's hear from the ashtar command well, one thing I would like to say, one of the theories, quote-unquote, that they've talked a lot about recently was the Big Bang Theory, that the universe has been expanding, and that what Ashtar refers to as far as life and all the other worlds, because mo a lot of it is higher-dimensional lives, like Einstein talked about the unified field theory of dimensions, densities coexisting, and that actually the entire universe is filled with myriad races of species and beings, and many are coming to this planet right now. We are a little speck in a vast intergalactic community and we've been but we've been quarantined by more advanced beings but actually Ashtar says that as, as he uses the term individualized God sparks of divine intelligence. We as beings with intelligence, with free will, with consciousness, came into being in many different places throughout the universe. Certain species, because of the conditions, the elements that were there, some scientists would agree with, but a lot of them would not agree with the other dimensional forms of life, per se. But a lot of things I have discovered through my research, or as my research, in fact, two of the books we distribute called We Discovered Alien Bases on the Moon, and another book called Moongate. These are two books that just alone by themselves showing photographs of the cloud cover and the reservoirs of water on the moon and the UFO bases. We've been led to believe that the moon is a dead, void place. Well, that's just one example, as well as the facts that the planets in this solar system, because having talked to retired NASA technicians, that we've been lied to, the public has been lied to about the real conditions that exist, because it comes right back to the implications of extraterrestrial beings and what they would do to help this planet. They don't want us to know there's a higher level of technology. So when we talk about other planets, we have to talk about also multi-dimensions. These beings are both interdimensional and intergalactic. And there are, again, different species coming here. Are you suggesting <clears throat> or even perhaps accusing those members of the different shuttle me uh, missions of knowing this information? Or do they 
not know? I think some of them do know. It's been brought out through a lot of research, and even a lot of private ham radio operators have talked about that while the public space program during the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo programs were occurring, that they were picking up other transmissions. In fact, there's a, a, a line called, technically called the medical channel that's supposed to be just for discussing medical information and so on, but it's what they don't want the public to know about. Officially, it's to cover up other information. And there have been cases where they've picked up transmissions of the astronauts describing the UFOs and the extraterrestrial vehicles, having their metaphysical UFO experience. Almost every one of the missions has been followed with UFO craft. And cases where they had picked up transmissions of beings speaking in strange languages that to this day they can't decipher. But using voice print detectors, and then when the beings later spoke in English, it was the same being. They have translator Devices. But a lot of cases where astronauts, they failed to pick up or register on their, on their boards boogies or unidentified objects like meteor showers coming at them at a fast rate. And because the beings intervened, that saved the astronauts' life because they changed their course. There have been many cases like this, but it has been covered up. So yes, the, they put them through quarantine. Not because they're going to bring back viruses and bacteria, but to deprogram them through a process called the Orion treatment. That's what undercover operatives have told us, to make them forget as much as possible what they were experiencing, whether we're at that level of authority. So you are saying... <laughs> yes, I am saying and stating that they are part of a vast cover-up. But, but, but you are also stating that many of them do not know because they have been treated hypnotically or through some type of therapy uh, yes. to... Programming, mental programming. So this is done to people in the shuttle miss the shuttle missions? You believe, you believe that? Oh yes, definitely. If they've had experiences, a lot of them are naive, but once they get into that level they become aware on some level that this now, is going on. I've noticed something and of course I'm going to mention this because I think it's good for for, uh, <laughs> for listeners to maybe comment. I have noticed that <clears throat> recently on about four of the five of the last missions that I've seen in the landings, I noticed that as soon as they land, there is a special uh, part brought out directly to the front of the shuttle so you cannot see who gets off. But the uh, astronauts seem to come off the other part uh, and walk right out. So who's getting off the front of this? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Having spoken to certain people who have been in military intelligence, there has been some theory and evidence that some of the Apollo missions that were sent up there carried four crew members. Now, I can't prove that, but certain people who have shared other information with us that was verified from a lot of other sources, people we've met, who've told the same story from having met them also at a lot of our lectures, they would show up and share these stories. They have no reason to make up this information. I hear the same story time and time again to a point where you begin to realize there's got to be some basis of truth to what these guys are sharing with us. And they've commented about that our present space program, and this is going to go into an entirely different subject, that it was nothing but a cover-up for a more advanced level of technology. It was codenamed Alternative 3, also called the Adam and Eve Project, that the United States and Russia secretly for many years had actually been colonizing the moon and Mars years before the Apollo program went to the moon. In fact, 10 years before that. And there's, in fact, in so, the... So you're suggesting what we've heard before. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you are suggesting that this whole uh, race to the moon stuff was all nothing more than a uh, facade. It was uh, a charade because it had been going on before. Exactly. Now they're talking about going to the Mars right now. They're gearing all the people up to accept what has already transpired. They want to get people somewhat cut up to date a little bit, but they don't want to give away their technology, that they've developed Earth UFO vehicles. There's a project right now out in Groom Lake, Area 51, called Project Red Light. People in military intelligence have come out, like Bill Cooper and others, and have blown the whistle on the government. And uh, the people who've come out have talked about having worked there, like Bob Lazar and others. So there is information coming coming out at this time. We're kind of getting off the subject, but we originally intended to talk about. But it's hard to talk about one subject without at least touching on another because of the intricate webs of the whole uh, conditions of what is taking place. All right, well, so maybe... All these, you know, let's go, let's talk about for a moment the, um, the face on Mars, okay, that um, many people have seen in the photographs. There was a book that came out called The Face on Mars, and... Uh, now, that indicates there was an ancient civilization there at one time, and perhaps um, it has either moved on or gone on to another dimension. 
uh, which is very likely. So, you know, our Alternative 3 is one of the tapes that we had, that we distribute that's quite, <laughs> the government's tried to cover up quite a bit about the manned mission to Mars that was way back in the 60s, unmanned mission to Mars way back in the 60s. But um, so one of the things that, uh, that has interested us about this is how the United States and Russia, though we see, for so many years we had this Cold War going on between us, when in reality we were shipping wheat and, you know, and then the space program, you never hear about the, anybody arguing about, now this is my territory on the moon and this is yours, so we've set up our little base camp on this side and you can have that side. No, because in actuality, on the space program, on a high, very high level, they've been working together. All right, now uh, we're uh, going to talk about something different for a change, and of course that is that we are actually going to investigate now this history, uh, where the solar system came from, the key planets, how the species manifested, uh, energy beings, um, and, and what, why, and, and certainly the formation of the Confederation in the first place. So why don't we start with the formation of the Confederation? Why do we have a, why is the Confederation there? The human-appearing extraterrestrials, the Intergalactic Confederation, or Universal Federation of Free Worlds, as they have been referred to, was formed because of a particular group of species. Back one was referred to as the Nephilim in the original prophecies, biblical times. They were termed reptilian species. And they and another group called the Greys that were kind of, in a sense, helped along in their evolution or de-evolution, they rebelled against the what we refer to as universal laws of quote, uh, they create balance and order in the universe. And these beings felt that they should throw out all the raw laws and rules and regulations, and this anything goes. There was no rhyme or reason or order. And this is why we formed the Federation, to restore order and balance, and to make sure that our rights and freedoms were respected universally. And so the Confederation basically became an organization to make sure that people, planetarily speaking, were respected and that they were, their freedoms were upheld throughout the universal realms. In fact, there's even a reference to this fact in Genesis of the Bible. It, says that, it said that Lucifer was a very high being, and when he defected, um, he took one-third of the spiritual hierarchy with him, and that the um, sons of darkness began to fight the sons of light. And uh, referring to the fact two camps were um, created from this defection. And we had always been peaceful beings, those of us of the Confederation who formed the, eventually formed the Confederation. It took us a while to really respond to this uh, negativity that was taking place. It wasn't until worlds were actually being attacked and, and the, um, the Luciferians were forcing their way upon people that we actually formed the Confederation. Yeah, the Confederation was formed, as we said, because the, that, this organization, which is a universal organization of peace, basically, their purpose is to restore order and balance to all the universal realms and to make sure that the rights and freedoms of the different planetary galactic cultures are respected, that cultural exchange can go on without interference from certain term renegade forces. Because when that termed Luciferian rebellion happened, there were certain renegade forces, and it has been described biblically, scripturally, that there was about a third of the hierarchy who rebelled and created a lot of difficulties, both on this planet as well as elsewhere. So they're a universal peacekeeping organization that, unlike the United Nations, is not corrupt. Okay, They are truly fulfilling higher principles and ideals and making sure that planets adhere to what we call the galactic pacts. They are laws of non-interference. Interesting enough, I'll just quickly mention this. The whole idea of Star Trek, okay, uh, which Gene Roddenberry, by the way, was not the originator of Star Trek. We met, I had a, a privilege of meeting an uh, early contact known as Jack Drapier in Phoenix, Arizona many years ago, who uh, had an experience during World War II in which he was a squadron commander of a French flight of planes, and he was flying over Germany at the time, and in those days they used to call them Foo Fighters and Boogies. And the Foo Fighters were actually early UFO extraterrestrial, early UFO craft that were developed here by Nazi Germany, and the Boogies were extraterrestrial craft, and three Boogies came out of the sky and zapped him and his plane 
with a green beam of energy. He was never the same after that because he started having actually uh, channelings and visions of what was going on. Later, after a number of experiences, he finally had contact with these beings more openly and he became a channel and ended up eventually in the early 60s in Hollywood and met Gene Roddenberry. And that's how the basis of Star Trek came about. So that's one of the reasons so many people are drawn to that program. He wrote the whole thing and Gene Roddenberry took that information and never gave Jack Drapier any credit. So that's why people have such a strong drawing to it because it's based on the actual Confederation, Federation of Worlds that exists on the higher levels. Gene Roddenberry put it in the future as if it couldn't be existing right now. So that was the basis of the fact that the universal group of beings, based on the fact that a lot of us also volunteer to come into human embodiment, as Jack Drapier was, all the contactees were, and as Aurora and I are, as volunteers, are from this higher group of beings. And so they keep tabs, they monitor, they guide us to fulfill our missions at this time. <clears throat> and so this is how the Confederation was formed in fighting or restoring order and balance. They were formed and they have been watching over all the worlds. The problem is that when a planet such as world leaders are denying their help, there's not much they can do about it. And that's the present problems on this planet right now. What are the key planets and what, what uh, are they known for? Well, there's actually a lot of key planets. There's millions of worlds. But in this solar system, I wanted to quickly just take the, the listener through some of the worlds as I understand it from a metaphysical point of view. I mentioned earlier about the books Moongate and uh, We Discovered Alien Bases on the Moon. Those are two books that reference to the fact that just on our moon alone, the conditions that exist there are totally opposite of what the public has been formed about. Well, the same thing with the other planets in the solar system. Conditions are not quite the harsh extreme as our technicians, NASA technicians, public would like to admit. The point is that if we go from the sun and go outward, we find that such planets like Mercury and even Venus, they've led us to believe that it's hundreds and thousands of degrees of temperature. And really, it's not quite that extreme, and especially on other dimensions that exist around those planets, there are very advanced civilizations and have colonization programs on the third dimension. You're saying, you're saying then, for example, that these are beyond our vision. Beyond as the visual aspects of the three okay, dimensions. As three yes. dimensional uh, beings or beings that have three dimensional vision, we are unable to see. Unless you're clairvoyant. Okay. Or curling photography types of devices that NASA has developed secretly. Uh -huh. They can photograph other dimensions. Oh, you, you say that, so you're saying that they have... Uh, they have developed technology that allows them to photograph, as well as very, we will say, they are able to travel to like the fifth dimension. But they can't go above that unless, unless their consciousness is at a certain point. All right, so mechanically then you're saying we are able to perceive See into these? the fourth dimension, yes. What does it look like to us? Well, basically, it has a uh, level of reality similar but different, more beautiful than what exists on this level. We call these beings etheric that exist on that level, but that's a word that's a little uh, confusing to some people. They think of some people think of it as a nebulous state, but actually, it's just another, it's like another frequency on the radio. Unless you have the technology to tap into it, you're not aware of it. But it still exists, coincides like you, the scientific, the Einstein theory of unified theory of relativity dimensions coinciding well uh let's get to these key planets for a second that's what i want to know the key planets what are they well there's um the great central sun as it's called um which is in the center of the milky way where alpha and omega two energy beams preside and that's where uh, many of the rituals that t take place on the higher realms when people are initiated into a different or a higher level. Um, the spiritual rituals many times take there. The planets towards the Milky Way, around the Milky Way, are the more advanced planets for the most part. They are the ones who began and at the, at, are the oldest, you might say. And... Um, there's quite a few of them there. Michael, do you want to come Yeah, up? well, Cirrus, Orion, Arcturus, Antares, the Pleiades, these are some toward the center part of this galactic hub of this galactic system, as Aurora was referring to. And that are some. those are some of the more advanced, what I could say, avant-garde of the higher worlds. And as we said, most of the more advanced ones are human-appearing, coming from higher dimensions. When ufologists say, that when they refer to the greys and some of the abduction sec situations, when they say, oh, that planet could very well support life, they're referring to a 
three-dimensional level. But most of the more advanced ones are coming from higher dimensions. That's important to keep in mind when we talk about other planets and other systems. Uh, are you referring to Arcturus then? Arcturus, Arcturus the and the Buddhist constellation, Antares. Yes, I'm referring to that. That's the galactic way station for culture coming in and out of this galactic system. And just to explain a little bit about galactic and solar in, uh, protocol, for instance, when another galactic command from another galactic system wants to come into this galactic system, they get the okay in a sense through Arcturus and also through Cirrus, which is the main, we might say, galactic headquarters of events going on. The Galactic Council there is where they make decisions governing the policies and protocols. So when another galactic command wants to come into this system, they get the okay through a sense of honor, through a sense of, shall we say, honoring the laws of that particular sector or quadrant to come into the system. When another solar command in this galactic system wants to go into another solar system, such as, for instance, in this solar system, Saturn is the uh, Saturn Tribunal Council, where they make decisions governing this particular, as far as authority in this particular sector of space. So they have a sense of, of universal laws and a sense of hierarchy based on levels of responsibility and respecting, again, the rights of other sovereign beings of light. So when you use the, the term, or when any, anyone uses the term of rogues, or of uh, groups that are certainly, what, uh, they're almost like gangs, aren't they? I guess that's what really yeah, what the like Greys are. Yeah, it's like the space are. mafia, I guess is the one you're describing. So the, so they, they are, are renegades because they do not want to adhere to confederation policy. In other words, they don't want to respect the rights and freedoms of other beings. That's why we form the confederation. Right, they, were, they form the do-your-own-thing crowd at anyone's expense. So they're, they're a dangerous group. Yes, they are very dangerous, and they, um, they will go to any length. So this doesn't make our government seem very uh, respectable at this point, namely that they made their agreement with this rogue group rather than the uh, confederation. Well, no, but it's so typical. It's like dealing with third world countries, fascist regimes, rather than the noble countries that really are based on higher principles. Any difference once we got to relating with space that they would deal with renegades rather than the noble beings who truly have our best interests at heart? What's the difference? The only thing is that we're dealing with space now. So we've got a space contra deal going on now. That's right. See, on the higher realms, we're kind of, um, our political system is, is a democratic socialism, where we all vote for everything we all share in our decisions. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a little different than what we have going here. Here we've got capitalism and uh, democracy, where everything is based on how much you can sell rather than how much you can conserve. So it throws the whole balance of the planet off, and as far as we as consumers go. And also, it um, has a lot to do with, you know, the, what we're experiencing right now, this tr pollution problem. This is all based on greed and wanting to make profits, rather rather than um, what, how we can conserve. So until we get a whole new monetary system going on this planet, when this one is absolutely going through the, through the floor right now. So the point here is that we are not obviously living in harmony with the laws of nature. No, we're not. The government that, we, that, we, that represents us doesn't. And the rogue uh, extraterrestrials they've made their deal with don't. So the only, <laughs> the only one out there, the only ones out there that are following this, this protocol is the Confederation. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying but to actually, influence us? Actually, the Confederation is in the vast majority. I want to make that clear. That most, I'm just talking about our particular right, territory, though. Right. Our, our little planet here is one of those um, situations that went out of control during the Luciferian Rebellion. And because it was actually an outpost of the Confederation, it was a karmic training school for the more slowly evolving uh, souls, called the term the Laggards. And uh, it was uh, progressing very nicely until the Luciferian Rebellion took place. And then they became prime targets for the, for the rebellion. And since the Luciferian Rebellion, uh, of course, we've seen nothing but a downhill slide for the most part. There was points of brightness on the hmm. planet, you know, points of light, you might say. Are we like the kid who, who has been taken and put into the hall out of the classroom? Is that what this is all about, Michael? <laughs> 
Well, it's because of the uh, these these particular this planet was was one of the few karmic training schools. There had to be a place so that the less advanced ones, the slower learners, would have a, the leggards as we've referred to them because they're lagging behind in evolution, had to have a place for them to progress and advance at their own rate without slowing anyone else down. It's like comparing a first grader with a graduate school. On this kind of a rough analogy, but it kind of refers to some souls innately have more of a capacity to know what we call old souls versus young souls. Some souls learn a lot faster. They have the greater capacity to understand. It's called the genius quality. It's tapping into super consciousness. And so some souls, majority of 99.9% of most of the beings out there, have those of us have continued to progress and evolve. But because there is a few laggards, there always had to be a place provided for them to progress. So Earth was established as that place. This doesn't make me feel very good. So the Earth... Where we are living. The lowest planet in the universe. It is. Well, you know, I don't think it's really fair to say that because it's more like a first grade school. You know, it's just more like first graders. Would you walk into a first grade classroom and say this is low? No, you would just say it's the beginning. It's the beginning. Uh, it's the beginning. Plat uh, beginning for souls to be able to express themselves. They have a limited amount of freedom here, and as they advance to the more advanced worlds, they're given more freedom of expression, until finally they become masters of matter. And at that point, they, along with being masters of matter, there's a certain responsibility that goes with it. But as you can see, these responsibilities as to how we've handled things here have, you know, shown that we're not, most people aren't really able to advance. One third of the Earth's population, however, is going to graduate off the Wheel of Karma, we're happy to report, and we'll be able to move on to the more advanced worlds. Now, what, what are some of the, we, we've talked about a few of the key planets. You mentioned Arcturus. Let's talk about Arcturus. Very few people talk about Arcturus. Let's talk about Arcturus. Arcturus Antares, which is, it is the way station, basically, for, we talk about culture, like we think about nations, you know, shipping goods back and forth. I'm using an analogy here. On the intergalactic, interdimensional realms, there's a whole vast cultural exchange program going. In fact, the, one of the little humorous sayings that we know on this planet, women's places in the mall, well, the higher extra, human appearing extraterrestrials, space sisters, whatever we want to call them, are very much involved in, in a sense of sharing culture as as well as those of the male polarity. But it's a sense that some beings love to share that culture. And it's not like a sense of being caught up in materialism. They love aesthetics. They love beauty. They love ambience. They love quality. And they live in crystal palaces. And they dress in beautiful, exotic clothing. And that's perhaps one of the reasons that the governments don't want people to know about that. Because everyone would want to be there so much that the government would lose its power over the present limited way that we're operating. And we know of people like Nikola Tesla and others who brought that technology down here, attempted to share it, but it's been highly suppressed. Well, it's kind of like, you know, you've got your little sandbox here. We don't want any of the bigger kids moving in. <laughs> uh, Michael, you uh, were a contactee when you were younger. Tell us a little about your experience, especially on the what was it, a mothership that you were on? Well, no. When I first experience was when I was six years old, 1959 to be exact. And I was in Oceanside here in California, walking along the Oceanside Pier. And basically, I would consider it as curiosity. I walked over to the side of the railing, and I started climbing up onto the railing. And basically what happened is I climbed too far and ended up falling off the pier into the ocean. And in the process of falling, while I'm in the falling, all of a sudden, I, my first reaction, I found myself in a room. I was an entire, to me, because I mentioned once before that I came in with conscious memory. I didn't have all the veils or what I call cosmic amnesia over my mind. And the first reaction I had was I was back in my home environment. I was in this most beautiful, perfect, peaceful, loving place. The kind of place that we all hope for, that we know deep down does exist somewhere. And this was the kind of environment that basically we should be experiencing down here if it wasn't for the suppression of other technology. But I'm in this environment, just standing around, we were very beautiful, human appearing extraterrestrials. And to look at it another way, if they were dressed in earth clothes, they could have passed as the average good-looking person on this level. But these beings, especially two of them, Aurora as my cosmic parents, which I recognized, I remember saying goodbye to those two beings before I took earth and body. I mean, I started pleading with them. I started carrying on like a fool because I wanted to stay there. And yet I knew I was on a mission, but it's a very natural process that when you see a better level, you tend to reach out to grab hold of that, to stay there. And uh, to me, I just experienced perfect love, perfect peace. And what they were sharing with me is they understood. And what they had done is they took me out of that situation because of the extreme trauma 
through the fall that I experienced. And they took that trauma away from me, basically. And so I was there for a period of time interacting with these very beautiful, very loving beings. And uh, then they brought me back the same moment as, quote, when I disappeared. It's like I went through what I call a time-space warp, because in one moment I'm falling, next moment I'm on the ship. I'm on a, what I'd call a six-dimensional plane. And then they brought me back the same moment, and then the moment I'm hitting the ocean. In other words, no one else even knew that I'd interacted on this other level with very real physical beings. We can call them etheric, but they were very real to me because they walked up and touched me. And they said to me, you must go back. The human race depends on it. Well, what they were really pushing into me was that I had promised to fulfill a mission, and they were reminding me about that. But for a brief while, I experienced this feeling of joy and ecstasy that all of us contactees and star people will ultimately experience totally once we're taken back up. And that was a reinstatement of a promise of protection if we're in any kind of danger. And that was my first experience. In fact, you know, um, Bruce, all the volunteers in Earth Embodiment experience this kind of protection. In fact, um, they, don't have to, they don't have to fall off a appear no. to do that. But. No, and you know, I'm not suggesting anybody jump in any windows from the, you know, 12 floors up, but, but um, to see if they're protected or not, because the Confederation does not conf consider that to be humorous. But uh, they will protect you and guide you and monitor you while you're here on your mission, if you'll allow that in your life. Now, uh, you don't even have to be conscious of them either, because, for example, when I was... Um, 16 years old, I was driving my boyfriend's convertible, and I was about to smash into five lanes of traffic at an intersection going 50 miles an hour. And I, I thought it was hist I was history. I, and I threw myself on the floor of the car, and I put my, my right arm over my head, and I was hanging on to the steering wheel with my left hand, and I had my left foot on the brake, and I was, I was prepared to die, really. And I, and I, um, I said a little prayer. I said, "Dear God, please don't let me hurt or kill anyone, because my last thing that I remember is seeing these people's faces before I hit the floor." And I went, oh, Mon oh no. And um, all of a sudden, there was no noise. There was no sound. There was no movement. There was absolutely nothing. And I thought I had died. And when I sat up to see where I was, and I was a little intrepid <laughs> about you know, seeing where I wound up, because in our family, we all knew that the only person who was going to make it to heaven was my grandmother. <laughs> so, so, I was raised kind of fundamentalist, to say the least. And um, so when I sat up to see where I wound up, there I was, parked lanes over all the traffic, parked perfectly next to a gas station pump, and no one was moving at all. They were all in a state of suspended animation, which is, again, what Michael called time-space warping. And I was just sitting there. I was 16 years old, and I just started laughing. I just said, oh, my God, how did I get here? This is so weird. And I thought, you know, Twilight Zone, do-do-do-do, you know, kind of thing. And... Uh, I thought, okay, my only hope is, is if I talk to this guy who was standing in front of his gas station, this old gent who was um, on his way to, towards me, I think, or somewhere, you know, he, when he was frozen, and all of a sudden I, I said to him, hey, mister, fill it up, and he started walking towards me, and the traffic started back up again, and no one looked at me strangely at all. So I knew then of their powers, their ability to intercept and intervene at any time whatever is necessary so we none of us need to have any fear of our um of anything we do as long as it's for the good of mankind we're trying to uplift society we're trying to be true to our mission and purpose you know because i hear a lot of light workers say oh i don't want to get involved in politics i don't want to wind up you know with a bullet in my head or i don't want to do this because i you know i'm afraid of the establishment or that i say this you know live your life without fear and uh, allow the truth to guide you and take take it wherever it leads you in life don't be afraid because you do have this protection from on 
Yeah, I think that's very important that people realize that, that we, as I always use the term, we have a backup team that's willing to back us up and help us if we adhere to our, our ideals and principles. They're not going to protect or back somebody who's just doing anything that they want to. That's the policies of the Federation. We kind of call it the mutual admiration society. In other words, when you do things that they would uphold and they do things, it's really a win-win situation. And so they, of course, sometimes will test us to see if we're true to those ideals and principles, because they want to make sure that we can be as much as possible beyond reproach. They, they allow us to be tested, and, and sometimes we all make mistakes. That's not what they judge us for. They judge intent and motive. That's the only thing. And as I've said many times, you don't even have to believe in them. It's what's in your heart. It's what you do as a being that makes the world a better place. That's what makes you chosen. Michael and Aurora, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been really great. I've enjoyed sharing information with everyone. It's everybody. been lots of fun, Bruce. Hope to see you again. This is Bruce Stephen Holmes, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one. Planets too